Good morning, Northern Hills. Hey, let's just go ahead and worship for the next hour, right? How good was that stuff? Uh, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful start to our morning. Um, glad you are all here in person. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online as well. We are in the third week of our teaching series called Enough Already. And I just wanted to start off with a story this morning. A Jewish man goes to his rabbi. And he's like, Rabbi, I got a problem. I got a huge problem. My wife and I have six kids, but we are in a small house. We are overcrowded. It's getting crazy at the house. All we do is ever, all we ever do is fight. We don't get along. We're arguing all the time. It's too crammed in this small space. What do I do? Rabbi thinks about it for a little bit. And he chats with him like, do you have any animals? The guy says, well, yeah, we have a goat. Rabbi tells him, he's like, well, what I want you to do is I want you to take that goat. I want you to allow him to be in the house with you for the next week, a whole week. Then I want you to come back. Guy looked confused. He's like, all right, I'm going to do it, Rabbi. And he goes and he heads home. A week later, comes back, connects with the rabbi again. He's, He's looking just down and out. It's like, are you kidding me, Rabbi? This last week has been the worst week I've ever experienced. This goat is tearing up the furniture. (laughs) This goat smells. It's making our house smell. Everything is worse than it was. Are you kidding me that this was your suggestion and what was going to solve my problem? Rabbi tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that goat and I want you to remove him from the house and just come back in a week, remove him from the house, see you in a week. Fine, goes back. Week later, comes and connects with the rabbi again. And this guy's body language is completely different. He's jumping for joy when he connects with the rabbi. He's like, Rabbi, this last week was amazing. It was the best week I have ever had. You know where this is going. It's like the goat's out, and I am in this house, this tiny, small house with my six kids. I'm there with my wife. It's crammed and it's packed, and life has never been more beautiful than it is right now. Right? We know where that's going because here's the deal. Perspective. Perspective is what makes us content. I think this man is not unlike any of us in this room when it comes to contentment, and all it takes is having a little discipline. Uh, a little bit of perspective. Let me ask you this for this week as we're diving into this Enough Already series that is definitely focused on finances. It's focused on our material stuff, our financial stuff. How's your level of contentment in general? Beyond just the finances, where are you at with your contentment? On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think you would land this morning? Because it's interesting to me. I think there's probably an argument to be made that discontentment has never been at a, at a higher level or maybe more of a uh, more, more bigger problem than it has ever been in the history of mankind than it is today, discontentment. Now, I don't know where you sit with that this morning, but never have we had so much. Never have we had so much at our fingertips and just <laughs> at the ability on, on a dime to get something we want or to have information we need, and yet we still are discontent. I think one of the culprits, and I don't think it's the culprit, hear hear my heart with that. Many of you know I'm not a social media guy, so it may come across as not being a social media guy that I'm a hater of social media. 
God's using social media for a lot of different things. I don't think it's the culprit, but it is a culprit, right? Social media can build our discontentment. Sometimes we're comparing our behind the scenes with somebody's highlight reel that's on social media. I think at times we will feel discontent because of the things we're viewing or the places people are going or the connections they're making that we're just not. And a lot of times that highlight reel speaks to our evaluation of life in general. I heard a story recently about two moms that were hating on each other through social media. These two moms were um, uh, talking to one another, and the conversation basically went, you know what, I, I hated you, one of the moms. So this was actually the working mom speaking to the stay-at-home mom. She's like, I hated you. And I hated you because you were looking perfect on, on, on your Pinterest, and, and you were leading this perfect home, and it seems like you were doing crafts and going above and beyond with beautifying spaces. Your kids had this structured schedule, and you were meeting all their needs, and I was so frustrated with you. And so the stay-at-home mom was speaking to the working mom. She's like, well, I hated you. And I hated you because it seemed like you had the ability to, to go out different places. And you were, you were in the working world. And you were making a difference. And you were doing things. And you actually had your hair done. And I've only had my hair in like a ponytail for the last like two years. And it was just, I, I hated you as well. And so here you have two people that were comparing and longing for what the other person had. Never before in the history of the world can we so accurately um, detail or, or make evidence of, maybe the best word is measure popularity. We can measure popularity now with our social media. See, when I was in high school, you had to sort of measure it a little bit just by your vibe, maybe by perception a little bit. Again, this is talking about perception. So if I was wearing an ALF shirt, for instance, and some of you know who ALF is, and that's fine. Some of you don't know who ALF is, Google it. But if I was wearing an ALF shirt, maybe I was a little bit of a nerd wearing the ALF shirt. But you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not maybe that nerd over there, or maybe I'm not that nerdy, or, and yeah, you are, Brandon, you're wearing the ALF shirt, right? But, but I think we've measured popularity in a different way, and now you can measure popularity by how many clicks you have. <laughs> I only have 287 followers, and they have 432 followers, and so I'm like less popular by almost half than they are, right? Or maybe you post a picture, and your picture only gets 19 likes, which is actually better than the 12 likes that you had from the last picture you posted, but it's not hitting your record of 33 likes when someone uh, uh, liked that one picture you posted, but it's just still frustrating to you because the person that you are looking at, the he or she, always gets triple-digit likes, and it just seems like we're just discontent. It's not fair, and so we compare and we summarize, and everybody else's life just seems to be better, and my life sucks, and... Uh, and, and we're just comparing. And so we're discontent with what we've been given in our lives, what our lives amount to. I think there are three different categories of discontentment. And I want us to just take a gut level, honest conversation with ourselves this morning in the area that you may personally struggle with most. We'll broaden this beyond social media, obviously, but chances are one of these is going to stick out to you. The first one is relational discontentment. Relational discontentment. So this is where, again, we're seeing some of our friends, maybe through social media, maybe we're hearing about, and our friends are gathering together. They're gathering together, but we're not there. 
<laughs> we, we don't get to hang out with them. We have this FOMO going on, the fear of missing out on that activity. And they're with individuals that were sort of all collectively friends, but how come I didn't get invited? Why was I left out again are the questions we ask ourselves. And maybe it's uh, you're not married. And all of your friends are married or all of your friends are getting married and they're happy and you're single and your single self never seems to be happy. And so you're like, well, I just want someone special in my life. Maybe we see someone else if you are married and you see someone else raising their kids and it seems like they have all this time for their kids. They're at their activities. They're at their events. They're pouring in and you're working your tail off just to get to that after school program or game. And so you feel guilty. They have a great marriage. It's relational discontentment. My marriage isn't so great. He romances his wife. Well, she lets him do whatever he wants. And then all of a sudden, that's building, right? We're envious of someone else's relationship status. That's relational discontentment. The second category is circumstantial discontentment. Circumstantial. This is when we look at our lives and we compare it to someone else's life and, and where they're at in life. You ever done that? You ever sort of like, oh, I just, I wish I would have been doing something more significant at this age. And I want to be doing what they're doing or I want to make the impact that they're making. And I don't seem to be doing that. And that may just be the broad way to talk about circumstantial discontent, the whole life and where we are having a midlife crisis and driving a Corvette, Right? But it may go beyond that. It may be just circumstantial in the daily. Oh, they've got to go to the Bronco game, and I didn't. Or they're in Hawaii, and they're taking that trip, and I wish I was on that trip. See, if I'm honest with myself, this is where I can get mixed up in, in just a huge discontent. See, I'm not like, unlike any of our staff here at Northern Hills on weekends, they're usually full. Saturdays and Sundays, uh, when people are going to sporting events, or when they're taking long weekends, when they may be even taking long weekends away out of state, going up to the mountains, this is where I can feel discontent. And it's probably a good thing that I'm not on social media because I would be one of those passive aggressive social media people, right? Like when someone is at the Bronco game watching a football game and they're posting, they're sort of, hey, just at the game and just having fun, I would probably respond in some you know, snide way saying, yeah, well, I hope you're enjoying your time at the game because I'm here at church doing God's work and I hope you're enjoying that beer and enjoying the devil working in your life right now. You know, I'm just making a difference for the kingdom and saving souls, and you're just watching these men in tights running around throwing a dumb ball, when all I want to be doing is watching men in tights running around throwing a dumb ball, that's exactly where I would be with circumstantial discontent. Now, the third and final category, I think relational and circumstantial build on this um, and get us to a place of having material and financial discontentment. Material financial discontentment because we're comparing our lives with others that we either want to be in relationship with We're comparing our lives in the places we want to be the things we want to see the stuff we want to uh, And so so it naturally affects the stuff we want to have Or the money we want to make we someone we see someone post a picture of their car their new car We want that car That's the car we've been looking at and we want to be happy for them, but we want that car Or you're watching the food network and they're making this amazing dish. You ever watch the Food Network? And that, that place is a stumbling block all of in itself, right? I mean, there's just some good stuff they're making. But you sort of look beyond the dish that they're making, and you're sort of like, this kitchen is amazing. 
And it's the marble countertops and the custom cabinets with the doodad knobs that are so cool. And like, I'm looking beyond the, the, the thing they're making. I'm looking at the kitchen. And so I become discontent. We're looking at new clothes or new shoes, new gadgets, new fill in the blank. And suddenly we feel materially discontent, which then draws us to a place where we're also just feeling, well, I need to make more money to get those materials. So we become maybe discontent, I need a new job, or I don't even like the place I work, do I make enough? And really, we're just discontent. Now, let's be honest this morning, all right? Honest assessment, and we'll do this, we'll have fun activity this morning here, fun exercise. I'm gonna ask you, this so we can all judge each other in the room, okay? So, how many of you struggle with relational discontent? Hands raised. Any relational discontenters, okay. How about the circumstantial discontent? Hands raised, all right, definitely some. How about the material financial discontent? Okay, that's an even split amongst all three pretty much. Maybe you online are the, the same way. How, how many of you struggle with all three? You need counseling, all of you need counseling. All of you need to be in counseling, all right? Uh, it's me too, right? Here's, here's our reality. Our discontent, this is what I truly believe, our discontent if it's left unchecked It'll be something that ultimately destroys us. It'll erode us for a while, but it'll ultimately destroy us. And I'm going to be quick to remind us this morning of something I reminded us the first week of this series, that being discontent with certain things isn't necessarily bad. We talked about that the first week. We, we talked about how God created us to want. That's what he's built in each of us. We want, but we just want the wrong things. And so another way to frame that for this morning's topic on, on contentment is this. The problem with contentment and discontentment is that we tend to get them confused. The problem with contentment and discontentment is that we tend to get them confused. We tend to be discontent with the things that we should be content with. And then there are things that we become content in our everyday lives with that we should be discontent with. Do you think God wants us to be dis discontent? How would you answer that question if someone asked you that? Because I believe there's a certain discontent that God intended for each of us to have. We should be discontent with injustice. And many of us are. When we see or hear stories of sex trafficking or genocide or extreme poverty, poverty in general, right? God's wired us to be discontent with such things. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And then I would make the flip side argument. We become content, maybe too content, with the everyday. Our everyday relationship with our God. That's something we can become content with, how much time I spend with him, how much time I spend in his word, how much time I'm having a conversation with him in prayer. That's something we can become content with. I believe based on that, that's impacted the way we love others. And so we become content with the way we love people. Think of that in just this last cycle, this last year plus and all the chaos we've experienced, we've been able to see that many of us have become content with the way we love other people. See, at its worst, we get to a place of not being content with how we love others, and then it builds into this idea of righteousness, even to the point of becoming self-righteous. And many of us have landed there. We become satisfied with things that deserve more of our time and our attention. So perhaps we've become content with our marriage or the way we parent or our health, or our workplace. 
any number of things. That kind of contentment, that's not God's best for us. So the problem with contentment and discontentment is that we tend to get them confused. So what does true contentment look like then? That's why we have the scripture. That's why we have God's word. I believe the best scripture on this comes from the apostle Paul. And the story I shared at, at the front this morning about this Jewish man connecting with his rabbi all about perspective, I think it's amazing to me how the master in responding with perspective, the master of responding with a godly perspective was the apostle Paul because he's writing this specific portion of scripture while he's in prison. While he's in prison, he's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. This isn't, this isn't Paul sitting beachside with a little fun drink and an umbrella, right? That's not where he's at. Life isn't great for him. And he writes this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In other words, he's saying if life is going the way I want it to go or life is not going the way I want it to go, I have learned, I understand the secret of being content. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and then he shares it. He shares the secret, the secret of being content in every situation. Verse 13, I, in Philippians, I can do all this. Through him, Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can do any and everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, the secret of contentment, it's not found in what I do have or what I don't have. The secret's going to be found in Christ and Christ alone. This is true for all of us this morning. Many of us know it because we've journeyed it. Until Christ is all you have, you'll never trust that Christ is all you need. Until we trust that Christ is all we have, we'll never trust that Christ is all we need. Why do you think it is that so many defining moments in our relationship with Jesus Christ come when there is extreme loss, when there's extreme pain, when we are experiencing the worst of all kinds of tragedies. We're smart in this room. We're smart online. We know that those moments happen because in those moments, all we have to cling to is Jesus Christ. And what's so fascinating to me in those moments, to experience the power of contentment, these areas in our lives when we are, again, without anything, and nothing in the world can answer our problems but Jesus, and we're clinging to him. It's interesting to me that we experience his presence as being so real in those moments. It's so real in the tragedy. I think for many of us, it carries to experience him in the joy and everything in between, because that peace that really does pass our, our, our comprehension the human ability to comprehend it, it's like that peace that he offers us in those moments becomes real, and he becomes our rock. And that doesn't just become a flippant church tagline. He becomes our assurance. He becomes our ultimate provider. He's everything that we need. And so until Christ is all you have, you'll never trust that Christ is all you need. And, and until we let Christ be all that we need, 
We're going to have to understand that there's this battle of the enemy of discontentment. And then envy has the ability to rule our hearts if we're not careful. That's where we can be destroyed. Paul says, I'm going to tell you the secret of being content. I can have plenty or I can be in a Roman prison. But with Christ, I can do everything that he calls me to do. That's the secret of being content. So here's what I want to do today. I, I want to be really practical for us today. I want to just help our everyday lives. I want to give us a couple of clear steps that we can take to overcome some of our discontentment. First thing, kill the comparisons. Kill them. Kill the comparisons. Through Christ who gives us strength, we can kill the comparisons. Paul says this in Corinthians. We do not dare. He's basically saying we aren't even going to get close to this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Think about this for a moment. Has comparison ever bred something positive in your life? I had to really think about that. Because... For many of us, I don't think we compare down. We're not comparing down or even equal to us. We're always comparing to the thing that we don't have or something above our grip, uh, above our comprehension. So we're, we're always longing for something that we don't have. I think that means there's no win in comparisons. That's what Paul's saying here, that they're not wise. Now, we may be tempted to compare, but we don't do it. Why? Because that's what breeds the envy. And the envy is going to be the thing that destroys us, James 3, 14 through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. See, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. And that is strong language intentionally. It's saying that we need to evaluate our lives because the scriptures are reminding us envy, it's demonic. Envy is unspiritual. It's not from heaven. And so I don't know what killing the comparisons is going to mean for each of us in this room. I know God has a word for each of us. He has something to imprint on our hearts how we do go about killing that this week very practically and being active towards that. Some of us, I think, we're just going to need to take a social media break. We may need to take a week off, a month off, maybe longer, just to give us some space. And you've done that before. You've done that, and you've found out, like, wow, that's a breath of fresh air when I do that. So that's how we're going to kill comparisons. But some of us may need to just be very specific in what we do on social media. Maybe you just need to hide the individual that is triggering you, the person that triggers you, the individual that you seem to always play the comparison game Maybe you just need to, again, hide that feed of that individual. Let's go beyond social media. It may mean to stop ordering that specific catalog or having that certain thing come in that makes you want more, canceling that certain subscription, wanting more. Maybe actually deleting that app from your phone, trying to delete some ads that come your way. Maybe stop watching Fixer Upper for a bit. Because you're looking a little bit more at not the, the, not the house, uh, but you're, you're leading into envy kind of deal. Once you see those nice marble countertops and the beautiful yard and everything that they're building, right? Whatever we're watching can impact that. 
And then before we know it, we don't even, we're not grateful for our home. We think we live in a pathetic little shack. For some of us, it's going to mean not going to the boat show or going to the car show or going to the hunting show. And you're like, Brandon, I haven't done that for a year. Well, we're getting back to that stuff. What triggers you? And we may need to pause that for a while. Okay, so first we're going to kill the comparisons. Here's a positive second step. And this is going to help us kill comparisons. We're going to develop gratitude. Through Christ, who gives us strength, we're going to develop a grateful heart. Because if Christ is the secret to contentment, then, then the special sauce for that, that's gratitude. Because gratitude is going to be essential to being content. We'll go back to the Apostle Paul. He's pouring out wisdom to the church of Thessalonica when he's saying, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. See, a grateful heart is going to recognize that this life we do have, however long we have it, it's a gift. And contentment comes when we spend more time giving thanks for what we have instead of thinking of what we're missing out in our lives on. it's, It's not complaining anymore. It's just having a grateful focus. So the focus becomes on the things that we don't, uh, our focus tends to be on the things we don't like. Or, and so we begin to reframe that and search for the things that we do like. And we're grateful for those things we like. We stop focusing on the disappointments that have come our way in life. And we, instead, we give thanks for the blessings that have been bestowed on us. We were talking during marriage night. Just a couple weeks back, we had a marriage night here at the church. And they were talking about sharing withholds. And the idea of sharing withholds was simply this. In many of our everyday lives, we withhold information that we, share, that we maybe intend to share with our spouse, but we never do. Something that's really positive, like, wow, I really appreciated the way they parented in that moment. Or they came home sharing how they handled that conflict at work. I just want to share how I love them for that. Or even something as simple as she looks beautiful in that dress. Or I want to encourage him with some words because he's doing such a great job here at home. We, we, we don't intentionally withhold those positives or those shares. Um, a lot of times we just get busy. A lot of times I'm ready to share something with my wife and then I get distracted by my phone or something happens, right? And so the, the conference was talking about how you should take those, that time to take those withholds and share withholds once a week. Find time to, over the past 72 hours, to have a coffee with your spouse or to go run an errand and just have a time where you're being intentional to share those withholds. That's a heart of gratitude. And I think that can be used in every relationship that we have. Another way to ask that is how are you at celebrating the success of others? How are you with that? I think that's a huge step into killing comparisons. When we celebrate the success of other people, I believe that's an opportunity for God to purify our hearts. So someone gets the job that you wanted and you're like, God, bless them. And I mean that from the bottom of my my heart, God. I want you to bless that individual with everything in me. I wanted that job, yes, but I know that you have appointed them for this time. And maybe that thing that you want that someone else gets, you're just like, you know what, God? You have seen in their lives that that's going to be a huge blessing for them. And I'm going to ask that you continue to bless those people. It purifies our hearts. I think sometimes we don't even celebrate our own successes, through this preparation, right? Something as small as a vacation planning with my family. We're we're going to Black Hills, South Dakota, probably in mid-June, just trying to uh, tighten up some pieces on that trip. But it started out as a trip in Hawaii. 
And that was going to be really fun. And then it went to Disneyland. And then that didn't happen. All this is sort of COVID-related and why these plans kept moving down. And so by the time it was Black Hills, South Dakota, I felt like it was a consolation prize. And God's just done a work. And that's small. That's something very small. But that work in my heart, that perspective of like, we haven't been on vacation in a year. My kids are going to be really grateful to just be in a hotel and swimming in a pool. And we're going to create memories. And it's going to be a good time. We don't even celebrate our own successes sometimes. Here's what I found. Here's what God taught me in my own heart. If I can't celebrate the success of other people, if I can't celebrate those personal successes, then I am limiting what God wants to do in my life. It's a heart of gratitude. And since my tone has changed on Black Hill, South Dakota, I've set the temperature in my entire household. Everybody's excited for this trip because I'm excited for the trip. Because I'm excited in what God wants to do in and through us in this trip. And I'm excited, not just, it's not about me and what I'm missing out on. It's excitement towards others and what we're all going to get out of this trip. To Christ who gives me strength, I can kill comparison. Through Christ who gives me strength, I can become more content. Through Christ who gives me strength, I'm not going to limit what God is up to and what he's doing in my heart and in my life. So a thought as we close this morning. And this is just the truth for this morning. The secret to contentment is Jesus Christ. It always has been and it always will be. The secret to our contentment is Jesus Christ. Until Christ is all you have, you'll never trust Christ is all you need. And so that material stuff, that relationship you've been longing for, that maybe someone else has, keeping up with whoever you're trying to keep up with, the bank account that overflows, until each of us experience the goodness, the goodness of Jesus Christ in our lives, we will be left dissatisfied. That's where we'll be left. The discontentment, the discontentment that you and I feel, maybe on the regular, I'm shouting this out this morning that yes, you were created to want. That's a reminder for each of us this morning, that wanting, that longing, it's because we were born into this world to long for something. But that longing, that each of us have, that God has designed us for, that longing is for eternity. It's not for this place. The longing is for something more than the world has to offer. Write that down somewhere. Our longing is for something more than this world has to offer. So, just like the Jewish man connecting with the rabbi, just like the apostle Paul consistently reminds us from prison it's all perspective it's all about our perspective and we will continue longing if we don't make Jesus Christ the center of our longing this world has a ton to offer us but it doesn't have what Jesus Christ can offer each of us and so let's point towards the eternal because this isn't our home. And God, let's allow God to be our enough. Would you pray with me? God, we just, yeah, that's, that's our heart cry this morning, Lord. I'm, I'm not naive. 
I know there's individuals here, Lord, that are simply left longing for your presence because they're, they're tired and they're weary. And there's hurt and pains and things that we've just have navigated in such a tumultuous season, God. So some of us don't even want material things or financial things. We just want, we just want a clear word. We want a clear picture of our future. We want hope. And so, Father God, would you just meet us in this place this morning, Lord? You have imprinted this entire series with this song that points us towards you being our enough. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And God, we are inviting you in to provide in our lives to break our discontentment, the longing and want that it would have the perspective of eternity and not what this world has to offer. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we invite you. Jesus, we ask you to do what only you can do. And would you just transform our hearts today moving forward, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for sending your son to be our enough. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.